I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Got it for three. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, Cougar Nation, and welcome to another edition of Cougar Sports Saturday here on your legacy home of the Cougars, KSL News Radio. Mitch Harper. Joined as always by Matt Biamonte, and we will be here for the next three hours to give you a a little bit of a therapy session for last night's game as BYU falls again 27 to 24 to the East Carolina Pirates the Cougars are now 4 and 5 overall in the season four consecutive losses we'll try to dissect what's going on with this team and how they proceed moving forward we want you guys the BYU fans BYU nation to chime and give us all your thoughts vent do ask us questions do whatever you got to do and you can interact with the show by texting 57500 you can tweet Mitch underscore Harper by Amante Matt KSL Sports to get a hold of us as well we want to get your thoughts on the loss we'll get to the Cougar Sports Saturday poll a lot of football reaction to what's going on wrong and then later in the show I can't believe it's this time of year, Mitch, but as Halloween is right around the corner, you know what that also means? Basketball is right around the corner, too. So you and I were both down at BYU Basketball Media Day uh, earlier this month, and we got you guys a bunch of great interviews to get to know this team because there's a lot of new faces. It's it's a completely new team with a lot of young guys that could have roles, and there's a lot of transfers as well, so we'll have – Mark Pope, you had a great interview with Coach Pope. We'll have Spencer Johnson, he's a returning player, and two new players as well. Dallin Hall, highly recruited, fresh off the mission, and one of the transfers, Noah Waterman. So a little basketball, but we, of course, have to start things off with what happened down at Lavelle Edwards Stadium last night. The leadoff. A look at the stories making headlines right now. It's time for the leadoff on Cougar Sports Saturday. BYU falls to East Carolina 27-24. The Pirates hit a last-second field goal as time expired to send BYU home with another L. And, Matt, this is a tough loss for BYU because, once again, it's a setback while BYU is attempting to make all these changes uh, you see Kalani Satake, or at least Kalani has said, 
that he is the one taking over the defense and uh, all these staff uh, reassign the, the changed assignments and it's still not working. And credit to BYU's defense, they made the necessary improvements in that fourth quarter to get the stops to give the offense the ball and a chance to win this game. But ultimately, it didn't matter. It was the same result. And BYU's offense, I think today, one day after the fact, I think that's the side of the ball where this was the one. This was the side that that handed BYU the loss. Where in previous weeks it was the defense. This week, I think it was the offense. When you score only twenty four points, it's just this is a different day and age of football, Mitch. This isn't. The Bronco Mendenhall era. Oh, I think the pillar was what twenty four. Yeah. If you hold under twenty four, you score over twenty four, you win. College football is not that anymore. Uh, you can win football games in this day and age by scoring points. You look at Tennessee football; they're a top three football team. They have a bottom one hundred defense, Mitch. Bottom one hundred. But you know what they are? First in the country in total offense. That's what football is now. You have to score points, and you have to gain a lot of yards. And so I think it is very easy to point the finger at the defense, and they have not been good at all. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving a pass to the defense. But this season would be entirely different if BYU had just the same offense as last year. Not any better. If they were just top 30, we wouldn't be having the show that we're having today because you would have beaten East Carolina at home. You would have beaten Notre Dame in a neutral site, and you may even get Arkansas with a top 30 offense. That's not what they have. This BYU offense has failed this football team this year. They have so much talent, so much returning talent, and for them to be an average offense, it's not good enough. And if when a defense holds a team to 27 points, Mitch, that's enough. That's Honestly, that should be the expectation. If you can be sub-30, we should win the football game. That has not been the case this year, and that is one of the most disappointing aspects to this year's football team is that the offense has been pedestrian. You can text us and sound off and share your thoughts, 57500. Texter 5173 writes, Coaching is atrocious. Your thoughts. Look, I think BYU's coaching last night set the players up to fail. I think the the decisions on the offensive side – Cost BYU in this game. You think about those two drives where BYU goes for it on fourth down. Fourth and two, it's it's around, what, eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter? Or, excuse me, 14 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They took the ball over with about eight minutes left in the third. It was a long drive. Uh, fourth and two, you're inside the red zone. Turnover on downs. There was the opportunity to go for a field goal. But I'm okay with, with being aggressive and trying to get the touchdown. I wasn't. Uh, because at that point of the game, it was back and forth. Teams were scoring at will, so it kind of felt like you got to go get that touchdown. But they go to Miles Davis. Why not Puka Nakua? Yeah. Why not Jaron Hall? It's easy to second guess, but I felt like in those spots, go with the star players. Puka and Jaron, I think, should have been the guys dialed up in that spot. You didn't have Chris Brooks. Miles Davis had that great game against Wyoming weeks ago. Uh, but I think that was a missed opportunity, a little bit of overthinking it at times by BYU's offensive staff. Yeah, I think coaching is the biggest reason BYU is underachieving right now. Uh, the the A word that was used by Texter5173, that, that might be a bit too far. Yeah. But in, in particular last night, Mitch, in my opinion, coaching is why they lost the football game. You just talked about that sequence where they handed off to Miles Davis. First off, I mean, we could we could do a whole hour on on this fourth quarter. You can't run the ball up the middle. 
that has not worked all year. Uh, that, that was a complaint I had against Notre Dame, Mitch, when they were in a similar situation down in Vegas and they did a similar type of play. Also, not to one of their best playmakers. That time it went to Lapini Katoa, who, by the way, probably was the MVP of last night's game. He had a great game, but... They are not giving the ball to their best playmakers in those situations. And then on top of that, this is what bothers me the most. You're not good at that. And the, and the analytics, you keep hearing this word, the analytics would tell you, you can't do it. They were 127th in fourth down conversion percentage going into the game, and they go 0 for 2. So they're going to slip even more. You're not good on fourth down in those situations, so don't go for it. It's tie football game. Take the points. Get a little a cushion. Put take some pressure off the defense. It's just it's just mind boggling. The coaching was so poor last night because it, that's just simple, Mitch. It is simple. We need points. We're not able to move the football very well. We're in scoring position. It's the fourth quarter. We're at home. We can take the lead, and we don't give the ball to Jaron or Puka. Like that's that's coaching. So it's it's it was really poor last night, and I think that's why they lost the football. And then BYU's next offensive possession, the defense gets a stop. The defense did their job. East Carolina missed a field goal. They had to resort to a field goal attempt. Uh, East Carolina had kicker issues, and that kicker missed the field goal. BYU takes over on their own 25. They get to a fourth and one around their own 44-yard line, and it's a turnover on downs. Uh, quarterback sneak. I like that it was with Jaron, uh, but, again, running up the middle. Uh, that was a- also a coaching error, though, because yeah. I don't mind the quarterback sneak. The problem is the previous play did not have personnel on the field right. to do a quarterback sneak. Yes. Brayden Cosper had to go in at tight end on the line of scrimmage on that play. You can't run a sneak when you have Cosper and Pook. There was no Isaac Rex on the field. There was no Mason Wake on the field. It's just that's coaching. Like, yeah, in a perfect situation, it's fast, it's tempo. We do it quick. We get the first. You don't have the people on the field. And, and also, too, why in those spots? I'll admit, Matt. I thought this season when they got Houston Haymuli, I thought that's Houston Haymuli, that spot right there. And I get it now. At this point, you're at game nine. You're gonna, you're not gonna probably turn to a guy that you haven't turned to at all. So I understand it from that they standpoint did it in now. The fourth quarter, but, though. But yeah, that's what I was gonna get to. The next possession, the last possession for BYU's offense, they go to Mason Wake twice. And Mason's had a, a great career at BYU, but this year he has not made any sort of impact. No. And they haven't turned to him at all. And on a critical third down, he drops a pass, a, a pass that was right there, a short, easy pass from Jaron Hall. He drops it. And that's not on coaching, but I think it's also, why are they going to him in that it's spot? It's a little bit on coaching in that it's a critical down. Puka Nakua described this down yesterday to us. That's money down yeah. for the wide receivers. That's money down for the playmakers, and you're not going to the playmakers. Yeah. Yeah, That's the, the problem. Not having Cody Epps, I think, hurt a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, because Cody Epps gives you another playmaker on the field. He was out with an injury that he suffered late in that Liberty game. Think about that, too. Coaching. I mean, you go back to that Liberty game. They lose 41-14. to He's in there with about three and a half minutes left, and he gets hurt. Like The game was out of reach. And now he's hurt, and it could be a long-term injury, potentially. That, according to Aaron Roderick earlier this week. I just sometimes feel like, Matt, this BYU team is trying to throw out this element of surprise that catches these teams off guard. And I think what's – what's and it's just my vantage point, and it feels like now the confidence is gone from this team. Yeah, this gone. BYU program in 2020 and 2021 – no matter what the circumstances were, they felt like they would always pull it out and get the win. 
now I felt like last night was a team that is not confident they can get the job done and get the win, and that's what happened. And they the offense had three chances in that fourth quarter to go win this ball game, and they couldn't get it done. The defense did enough. I thought the defense made improvements. They still gave up 227 on the ground, and Keaton Mitchell was fantastic for East Carolina. But They held mind, him to 27 points, though. Yeah, I, I get it. But like, and keep, keep in mind, Keaton Mitch, Mitchell, he was out at the end of the game. Uh, Jacob Boren has the targeting penalty, which was correct. There's not going to be any appeal there, I would imagine. No. Uh, but he's gone after that head injury, and... You know, the defense responded. They did enough to get the offense, give the offense a chance to they go did win more this than game. Enough. They did more than The only nit, you could probably do two nitpicks on the defense. Number one, there were opportunities, and maybe this is more of a criticism of the special teams. There were turnovers to be had. Yes. They did, Caleb Hayes drops an interception. They don't recover a fumble on a kickoff return. There were opportunities to be had that they didn't take advantage of. That hurts. And then. The PI at the end of the game, I thought that was a good call. It was, it, I think it was a PI, but 27 points. Uh, BYU offense had more time of possession. I don't think you can pin this on the defense one bit. I think they did exactly what you wanted and needed them to do, and the offense didn't take uh, take care of their side of the football. Caleb Hayes, you bring up that fourth down. That was a situation where he had the safety help. Talon Alfrey was coming in. It's like. He, he panicked there. Like, you just got to let it be. We were talking yep. before the show. It's like that receiver's just got to go make a play. If he I know, makes a play, he makes a play. Yeah, it is what it is. Like, if you get beat, so be it. But you cannot give up a P.I., and that costs BYU the game, too. And, yep. look, Caleb's a good cornerback, and, and he's going to want that one back. And, and that decision, it was it was tough. But I, I, I will say that I do think that the defense, we did. it was refreshing to see – no mass hockey substitutions. Yes, that yes. was gone. That yep. was out the door. You're seeing some improvements from Kalani. But just less substitutions overall. I right. don't even remember just tons. Yeah. It was, you know, Alfrey played most of the game yeah. at safety. It, Micah Harper, was. he's a star. Micah Harper's going to be outstanding at safety. But I think that, um, you know, it, ultimately, though, what is this uh, long-term for BYU's defense? Something's got to get fixed. And we can talk more about that. Here, as we got to take our first time out here. And keep uh, the texts coming, man. Yeah. They are flowing in. We'll get to your texts. All first hour, 57500. We're getting to the texts. I like that point, Mitch. Let's talk about the long-term impact of what this is doing. But uh, keep those texts flowing, man. We're, we're going to be – we want to hear what you got to say, Cougar Nation, and we'll do so on the other side. More Cougar Sports Saturday after this. Welcome back into Cougar Sports Saturday. We're breaking down and reacting to what happened last night, really all month long, because this is a winless October for BYU football, which is hard to believe after having four wins in September. First time since 2002, BYU goes winless in October. And there were winnable games, man. It's, this wasn't this wasn't Baylor, Oregon, Utah. Like, come on. The East, you had East Carolina at home, for heaven's sake. Well, think about this, too. They were a favorite against Liberty. They were a favorite against East Carolina. It was a toss-up against Arkansas. It's not like BYU's this 14, 20-point underdog. No. They're games where the wise guys suggest that BYU could win these games. And they've underperformed. And that's been a theme with this team in 2022. We are getting so many good texts. We're going to get to them. And we got this one in the last segment, and I think it's worth talking about right now. This is from Texture 1237. 
I'll let you have the first word here, Mitch. This texture says, at this point, we know who Kalani is. Do we really think he can make BYU successful in the Big 12? It's a great question, and I think that, you know, Kalani, to me, is the perfect fit at BYU. He's the, he's a perfect coach. He's a perfect uh, leader at BYU, and I think you got to give him a lot of credit for the fact that he's maintained the roster and navigated the transfer portal and just done a great job in that. And, look, I don't subscribe to the thought of that many people throw out there, well, who would you get if you let him go? Yeah. There's always coaches. Yeah. BYU, since the days of Tommy Hudspeth, they've always gotten good coaches. Tommy Hudspeth, Lavelle, Crowen, uh, and I know Crowen had his failures, but you look at all these coaches since Lavelle, each one of them has had at least one season where they get 11 wins. BYU as a program, can, despite its limited coaching pool, can get good coaches. So I'm never going to say, oh, Kalani's just safe because – they have nobody. There's, there's always someone. It's yeah. BYU. It's a great program that has so much history and tradition. And I feel like there's so much potential to continue to grow in the Big 12 Conference. I just think that Kalani's got to be armed with great coordinators around him. It's got to be like Lavelle. And like, I, I feel like there's so many similarities to me with Kalani and Lavelle in terms of how they approach things where uh, you know they, they want to empower their coordinators to be successful. Look, we, we know Kalani's a good football coach. He stepped into the defense, and he's made improvements to a group that was down and out. And I, I thought tonight sh- or last night showed that. I just think, though, is he willing to make some tough decisions with this staff after the year? Because even if, let's say, they win out, and they win at Boise, and they win at Stanford, and they win a bowl game, there still needs to be tough conversations about – improving this program to get ready for the Big 12 because you're going into a league where there's coordinators that are making like $2 million a year. Derek Mason at Oklahoma State is making a ton of money. That's a former Power 5 head coach. Yep. Is BYU going to arm Kalani with the ability to go get, you know, if he wants to make a move from someone, get whoever he needs to that's going to fit BYU but also give him a competitive salary? Uh, I, I feel like he's the right man. I think a lot of coaches would want to work with Kalani. But he's got to make tough decisions because, uh, you know, Tuiaki, in some of the Tuiaki criticisms, maybe not completely fair, uh, because I think there's been a lot more hands in that defensive pot, Kalani included, Ed Lamb, that uh, kind of get masked because Tuiaki has the defensive coordinator title. But the offensive staff as well, they're, they're not immune to criticisms. If Kalani needs to make improvements from there, will he move on from those guys? Because a lot of them have close, close connections to Kalani, and is he willing to make the tough moves? And uh, that's going to be the challenge for him this offseason because if he does, Matt, I think that it buys some uh, goodwill, I think, from BYU fans and a little bit of a honeymoon phase again in the early years of the Big 12 to kind of navigate that difficult situation. I definitely have concerns. I, I don't know if I can answer that question with a yes right now because of what you just outlined, which is can he can he do the difficult things? Can he cut ties with some friends? Can he make the program more accountable? I think that's another thing, yeah. too. Like Under Lavelle and Bronco and even Gary Croton, eh, maybe not so much Gary Croton, but yeah, def- no, definitely, Bron- definitely Bronco and Lavelle, well, and there would, was accountability. Well, I would say with Lavelle's tenure at the end, you know, it was kind of a, a little loose. It was like a country club atmosphere. Like it, you know, it, I think as time goes by, we kind of – uh, you know, there was there was once a time when people wanted to fire Norm Chow. Every coordinator has gone through the ringer. <laughs> yes. It just happens. You know, it, it does. Uh, but I, I do think that with Kalani, uh, I truly believe this guy has 
uh, a ton of potential to deliver big seasons again. And and I'm excited. But he has to do the hard things. That's the thing. Yeah. If you're going to be the leader of a program, it's not always love and learn. We're having a good time. It's players. Sometimes it's we got to fire people. Sometimes you got to show a player the door if he doesn't buy into the program. Sometimes sure. you have to discipline a player for not keeping the team rules. Like those are a part of being the quote unquote CEO. And up to this point, I have questions as to whether or not he can do those things. And that's why this offseason is going to help me answer that question because this feels like this is the time where there needs to be some cleaning up uh, around the edges on the program to tighten it up because it's not tight right now. When BYU gets to the Big 12, and what's so exciting about the Big 12 opportunity in front of BYU, not only is it Power 5 football, but to me, Matt, I feel like BYU, despite its great history, and this program has so much history, so much success, so much tradition – I feel like there's more to be had. I feel like BYU, in my opinion, is still kind of a sleeping giant potential. And I feel like with Power 5 affiliation, this thing can kick into overdrive and go to an even higher level. I'm not saying they're going to be a Bama or or anything like that, but I feel like BYU has so much to like, and this brand is a powerful one, and it can be a great one. And I want to see it maximized to the fullest from all the support to arm Kalani with that potential. But he does have to... Uh, be a little bit tougher, yep. uh, and and I think maybe some of the practices got to be structured in a in a tougher way, and and I feel like because one thing I will say, one coming into this year, I feel like player development was in a great place. I don't know how many guys this year have gotten better, and that worries me a little bit going forward because I feel like this season, this team was the best overall roster, one to one twenty three, that I've seen in the Independence era from BYU, and I thought that alone will get BYU to nine, maybe ten wins. I said nine and three coming into the year, and I'm stunned that we're having a conversation where we're saying with a senior quarterback who I think is an all time quarterback at BYU and Jaron Hall, that we might be talking about this team going five and seven. That is inexcusable. That is a total missed opportunity, and that's why tough things need to happen because long-term, BYU always bounces back. When they face adversity, BYU always gets up off the mat, and they never become this cellar dweller. So to avoid the chance of becoming a cellar dweller dweller in the Big 12, you got to make those tough decisions now after this season, and it's got to be a total from top to bottom. Everything's got to be evaluated, and if if it doesn't, then the spotlight goes on Kalani. Yep. And I don't think deep down no one wants that because Kalani is so beloved, but you got to make those tough moves uh, to better the long-term health of the program and also his job security too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, got to take a break. News, traffic, and weather coming up next. Texts are coming in, 57500. Let us know what you think about the state of the program and last night's loss. We'll get to more of your texts on the other side. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back in. Hour number one is rolling along here. If you ever miss any part of the show, make sure to subscribe to our podcast feed. Follow the show on kslsports.com and all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google Play, Spotify. 
You know the drill. Just follow the podcast on any podcasting platform, and you can always get Cougar Sports Saturday wherever you go. We're following some college football games today. Ohio State uh, into the third quarter. They are only up 16-14 to 14 on Penn State, so uh, Happy Valley looking to pull off the upset against the number 2-ranked Buckeyes. We'll continue to monitor that, and then undefeated TCU. They're up 28-24 to 24 with 4.09 left in the third, so Big 12 play, always competitive in the Big 12, and that's kind of... Uh, a piece that uh, makes this so interesting, Matt, is that uh, BYU is squandering an opportunity this season to have a special year. It felt like on paper there was so much to like about this team, and now they sit at 4-5, and five, and the text line is blowing up, and Cougar fans, they want answers, Matt, and you can text us 575-00. Uh, let's see, where should we go with this? Where should we go with the text line, Matt? Where do you want to go? Let's go here. I like this one because I think – there has been a laser focus on the defense being the frustration. Let's sure. go with this. Texter 9993. Who calls those lackluster plays on the offense up the gut? Is it always Aaron Roderick? I think that it is. Yeah. Now, we do know that this is a collaborative staff that Fessy sure. Satake, Steve Clark, Harvey Unga, they have input, but I believe on game days from everything that we've been told at the end of the day, the buck stops with Aaron Roderick. I think he's making the decisions. And he, he's enlightened us throughout the year on Coordinator's Corner and, and other interviews that they really, and this is, I could be wrong here. I'm not in the room, so maybe don't take this as fact. But from what I've gathered, they kind of make play calling a little easier by grouping plays into situations. Like here's the however many number of plays there are, fourth and one, this is what we're picking from. You know, sub fourth and three. If it's third and five, we've got these. If it's third and long, we got those. But uh, to answer his question, I do believe it's Aaron Roderick, and I think, I think it is very interesting that Aaron Roderick has been so good since he became the offensive coordinator up until this year. And this year, I think it's been a step back for Aaron Roderick. Where is the creativity? Where is uh, you know, the the lack of predictability because in these short situations and critical moments, it seems like it is always a run. Where is a naked boot play action? Where is, you know, the Mason Wake plays that we were critical of earlier, those would actually be maybe a good play on a fourth and one. Sneak him out of the backfield, quick dump off. You should be able to get it two yards from that. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's very interesting that, it just seems like there are there's not enough creativity, and then we've also talked about this too. There's not enough creativity, and there's also not enough highlighting the important players in the big moments. And I think that does fall on Aaron Roderick. And you know, earlier this week we heard from Aaron Roderick that the playmaker on this offense is Puka Nakua, and BYU has found a lot of ways to get Puka Nakua the ball, uh, but in those key spots, it sometimes gets forgotten. And, you know, I, I sometimes cringe when Puka is lining up at running back because I, I say cringe because he just he, he's got an injury. He's injury prone. He's always getting hurt. It seems like he stayed healthy. Knock on wood for Puka there. But, uh, you know, but just you got to find a way to get Puka the ball, because whenever that guy touches it, it just feels like he's ready to pop off a big play. And even Jaron Hall, it was nice last night. It felt like some of those runs were almost designed. Yeah. And, and I, I get worried to run Jaron, too, because he's so critical to this team. Uh, but Jaron showed once again that he has incredible athleticism and he can run. 
with the best of, of people in college football. He's just such an incredible talent. And maybe you have to turn to that whale more uh, in the last you know stretch of the season. If you want to get to a bowl game and you have to win one of these road games at Boise or at Stanford, maybe Jaron's got to do things more with his legs because uh, they have made a concerted effort to avoid that at all costs, and rightfully so, because you want to keep him healthy for, one, this team, but, two, his pro prospects. But he's banged up right now, and the shoulder, he's still playing through it. And I know that they've downplayed it and said he's 100%, but it's not a coincidence that BYU goes winless in the four games following that, uh, you know, he's after, not after he, he hurts his shoulder. Yep. Uh, it, there's been a dip in, in his level of play, and – and, you know, I still think Jaron is a special talent that he is their best quarterback regardless. But, you know, I, I think that uh, there, there's a lot of factors here, and I'm curious to see going forward if they do turn to the well of having Jaron run the ball more. To your point about Puka, though, Mitch, you don't need to put him at running back to get him the ball. On, yeah. on the drive in which he scored his uh, touchdown, that drive, there were two things that were obvious on that drive that worked. You already touched on one of them, Jaron running the football. He extended that drive on third down with a couple of runs. So, you know, credit to Jaron for being willing to do that. But also early in that drive, before one of the third down conversions, there was like a uh, like a six-yard just option route to Puka where he just sat in the zone, caught the ball, made a little spin move, picked up the first down. That is always there. Those type of plays are always there. You don't need to resort to fly sweeps and puka at running back to get in the ball. You can do a four-yard pass on a just a, a quick out route or just settle into a zone if it is zone. Even if it's man, you can puka is good enough to break free and get the football. So I don't feel like you have to razzle dazzle to get your guys the football. I also love this text, Mitch eighty two oh eight. Throw to Isaac Rex eighty three is open every single play. Says says this text. I, I wouldn't go that far, but. Isaac Rex is so much more. He's not being utilized. There was a play, I believe it was last week against Liberty, um, where it was like, it's sort of like a pick play, but Rex just sneaks out a little bit. And I think it was Keanu Hill who's like running a slant, and it's a crossing route where you get Rex out into the outside. That's also another play that would probably work 90% of the time. Why is that not involved in short yardage? Third and two, you can't just get it to big 83 for two yards. That's where it's just like, where is, that's not even being creative. That's just simply saying, on this third and two, we are going to force the ball to Puka Nakua. You're going to run a four-yard hitch, and we're throwing you the football. Go make the play. Yeah. It, that's simple football, and it's not happening, and, and I don't know why. Text us at 57500, another texter, 9776. Where's the tight end play as well? Where's the tight end play? I, I'm with you. I mean, because, yeah, yep. I, I think Dallin Holker's being validated. And I know that Dallin, uh, you know, hung it up early, and you can question that. That's just kind of the new wave of college football where guys are going to maintain their red shirt, but he's being validated. You can't because, criticize him. Yeah, Isaac Rex is not being utilized enough. And look, if Rex isn't getting utilized, what would have happened to Holker? Gosh, I mean, and I think it was Dennis Pitta, too, who even said it. And who's going to question Dennis Pitta? Maybe the greatest tight end in the history of the program. I think he said it on BYU TV. Yep. They're not getting utilized enough. And look, this is not the t- the lack of tight end usage. Say, and I don't think it's on Hall either. You don't think so? Maybe like, a little bit, but I just it comes back to my point on are there play calls being called where it's this is specifically going here in a yeah. situation you have one option: throw it to Isaac Rex on third and two. I don't. 
it, it's hard for me to say yes or no because I'm not in the play call room, right. so I don't want to be too critical. But from my vantage point, I'm not seeing those situations. Well, we just we just saw a ton of tight end usage with Zach Wilson, and I think that's where. I think I just uh, me personally, I naturally assumed it's just going to carry over. It was a different offensive coordinator during that time too, though. In twenty twenty, it was Jeff Grimes. Well, I think many believe though that A Rod was he was heavily he he was was, yes he was a prominent role, but but right Grimes was a significant voice too, and we've seen his role at Baylor. He targets the tight end a ton at Baylor, so that that is a good point as well. Uh, But it should be noted too that the tight end position work. Uh, is still far better than uh, what it was back in the day with like the Bronco years at the end, where it's like, oh, they got Remington Peck out there. The tight end position's back, and it's- he was more productive than <laughs> Isaac Rex. Like, just get Isaac Rex the ball. This just ha- sorry, this just happened in the Penn State game, fourth and one. Okay, Penn State's about to score and take the lead early fourth quarter. Fourth and one, they throw a quick slant and convert on the first down. Oh, BYU hasn't tried that all year. Interesting. Instead, BYU's going to go in shotgun. They're going to run it up the gut. <laughs> it's like, hey, uh, I, I, that's another well, thing, They too. put the ball in their best player's hands. They let Sean Clifford make a play. What a I, novel concept. Like, am I crazy to think that Isaac Rex could be like a, maybe not Michael Mayer, but I, I, I feel like Isaac Rex is a special talent. And if I'm Rex after this year, and I asked him earlier this week, you know, what are you considering? I know there's some football left because this is his fourth year. He's pretty close to getting his undergrad degree, uh, but he's got NFL prospects. Do you probably just move on? I mean, I, maybe. Is there enough in in, in you'd have to, to be come sold. back? You'd have to be recruited hard with a specific role because he's now married. He's got a kid it. on the way, baby boy. By the way, congrats to the Rex family. That test worked. He told us. <laughs> the little, I love little hair this man. I feel like so. My first child was a boy, and I was like, I almost didn't believe it. And then I watched Rex's video. He's like running up the side of a mountain after because he wanted a boy badly, <laughs> yes. and he gets one. He's and I'm like, dang, this dude is a hype. But to, to to wrap up the point in the tight ends, it just does not feel. It's a combination of all of it. Jaron Hall is probably not targeting them enough. I don't think enough play calls are being called for them that are designed to specifically go to the tight end. And then there's also situations where. Uh, th- there's been specific plays that have been run so often to the tight end that I think teams are taking away. Like when you try and sneak the tight end on a wheel route, that worked for uh, Dallin Holker against USF. That worked for Ethan Erickson earlier in the year as well. That play, it's, it's snuffed out. Like East Carolina had that dialed up last night. That that's not there anymore. So they, but they. Bottom line is this, Mitch: the tight ends have always been valuable for BYU, and they always will be because BYU is never going to get the athletes. That in Alabama, Ohio State, USC, they're not going to get those guys. And one of the ways that you can neutralize them is through great tight end play. Lavelle Edwards figured this out 30 years ago. 40 years ago, sorry. I mean, is it 2022? Where's the time going? 40 years ago. He figured it out that this is a mismatch for BYU, and it's it can always be that, and they have to find a way to make that a mismatch yet again. I just reel off some of these names. Jaron Hall, Isaac Rex. Blake Freeland, Kingsley Suamataia, uh, you know Chase Roberts, Puka Nakua, uh, Cody Epps when he's healthy. There is talent on this team, and we're talking about this group at four and five. It's just it, it's it's disappointing, Matt. And, and I think it's that's so why Cougar Nation has every right to be frustrated because I think everyone is on on board with the fact that hey, 
early years of the Big 12, you just naturally understand it's going to be a transition. I don't think it's going to be, oh, BYU suddenly going to be a two-win team. BYU is built to be competitive against some of these teams, but even that gets questioned a little bit because what we're seeing this year, and then you lose a lot of guys potentially to graduation and not guys not taking advantage of the COVID year or maybe transfers, you go into the Big 12 and you look at that league and you go, you still got Texas and Oklahoma. You got a 14 team league where I don't know if BYU is a favorite against any one of these teams. And Kansas is now playing some legit ball. So, no game in that conference when that new schedule comes out in early December is going to be an automatic lock in that conference. And, and it gets scary. Uh, and that's where it's like, this isn't going to work long term. If it can't work with this schedule where you've had some breathers against alleged breathers with Liberty, with Wyoming, with Utah State, and you're just kind of going slogging through the game and whether you get blown out or you barely win, it's like we should – let's acknowledge too that sometimes a win is a win doesn't always pan out. Right. The way they played against Utah State and Wyoming, the writing was on the wall. Yeah. This was trending down. Yep. And I don't think there was enough seriousness taken like this needs to get fixed. I get it in college football. Winning is always valuable, but it's like that product did not look good. But good, and te- it was trending good this teams way. don't struggle in those situations. Right. That's the thing. And, and BYU, the last couple of years, has not struggled in those spots. No. They've taken care of business. That's they, they, Last night was a bread-and-butter BYU game where it's like, okay, ECU's competitive. But these were the games where BYU always cleans up, and that's why they always build up to an 8-9 win season yeah. because they always take care of business against those type of teams. Yeah. And now you lost that, and you look at the rest of the schedule and go, where do you get the wins now? Fans are being a little critical of Jaron Hall on the text line. Let's get to our assessment mm. of Jaron Hall as uh, Penn State uh, waiting for the signal here. It's going to be fourth and inches. Uh, they may take the lead. We are Penn State. We'll see. We'll take the break here. Uh, more BOU football reaction on the other side. Welcome back in Cougar Sports Saturday. Been a fun hour. No, not fun. I mean, it's it's, it's a tough spot. I mean, look, it's a horrible hour. Well, are you kidding me? No, the thing is, is that you know we lost the, the Pirates. <laughs> we signed a three-year independent deal with the Pirates. So we went one and two. Yeah, there's nothing fun about that. There's nothing fun. I mean, and look, BYU's team. I think some of their players were loading their truck last night when I walked out of the Edwards Stadium. For real? It, 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 I can't. Yeah. It appeared that I way. It. And I, hey, if I got a big road win like that, I might be loading the truck too. <laughs> like, I, I, I BYU. I, I mean, I'll, these moments of adversity, man, are always intriguing to me. Kalani kind of sometimes speaks to me, honestly, when he says he likes sometimes adversity because he likes to see the character show itself and how BYU can improve. I'm always intrigued by these spots, too, to be honest with you. It's tough to squander a season that had so much promise and hope. But now I'm curious to see where BYU goes moving forward. And I think that's – I will say last night I did feel a little bit optimistic how there was some progress. Like There was. I'm trying to find some hope here. Uh, for the rest of the season, there the was run game was a positive. Yeah, the run game was positive, and and that's another thing too. Why haven't we seen that in other games, Matt? If we see that against Notre Dame with Chris Brooks, are we talking about BYU winning that game against the Irish? I mean, if, if you would have told me it would have taken until game number nine to have a running back carry the ball twenty times, I would have punched you in the face. And, and the thing is, Matt, 
notice there's a change at center. Connor Pay was pretty dang good again. <laughs> he was good before. That never <laughs> yeah, made any no. sense to me. Like, and I it, like Joe Tukwafi did a great job at guard. You know, and that's he, where he belongs. He, he's a great guard. He's really good at that spot. I just like that was one of the more confusing, and it wasn't. But the problem is, it's not. There's not just one or two confusing what's going on it, it, we're doing that multiple times a game that's that's where that's when we come back to coaching where it's like man we're really you know befuddled by a lot of things that are happening so we'll, hey we'll keep breaking it down BYU falls to ECU 27 to 24 Cougars are now four and five we'll continue the conversation we'll read your text five seven five zero zero taking a break hour number two about to get started here on Cougar Sports Saturday here on KSL News Radio. Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday post-game edition after BYU falls to the Pirates of East Carolina last night. We've been taking your texts all uh, afternoon long, and we'll do so for about another hour. And then in hour number two, we have to turn the page at some point and have a little optimism in our lives, and we'll do so with BYU basketball, which uh, they have an exhibition this week, Mitch. And then they start things off at home uh, on November 7th against Idaho State. And I I will admit, this team is a little bit more interesting than I gave them credit for in the summer. I I think uh, they're going to be fun. I don't know if that's going to result in a tournament bid, but I think they are going to be fun. I think the style of play is going to be a little different. So we're going to do BYU basketball in hour number three. So if you want to get, if you want to vent, you want to get some, some, Thoughts out there? You have some questions for us. This hour is the time to do it. Five seven five zero zero. Let's keep going to those texts. Uh, here's a here's a good one. I, I thought this was an interesting text, Mitch, and I want to get your thoughts on it. This is in relation to Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall doesn't look at the tight end. Says uh, texter seventy three fifty one. Isaac Rex has proven himself time and time again. Isaac Rex should go to Utah. They're the tight end factory. What do you think about Jaron Hall not looking at the tight ends? You know, BYU's wide receivers are really good this year. One thing. That's that should be noted. I think the wide receiver room has been special. Uh, oh, that- Buckeyes with a big turnover. <laughs> Sorry. Eight minutes to go. Big game between Ohio State and Penn State. Buckeyes just forced a turnover. Keep going. Dang Sorry it. to interrupt. Dang, that's a bummer. I wanted to see three Penn State. I want havoc. I want some chaos in college football. I do too. Uh, But you know, I think, I think that Jaron, you know, some of his uh, decisions. I think he's leaned towards you know going to the wide receivers, uh, going to Puka, and I'm okay with that. Uh, You know, going to Chase Roberts. Chase Roberts seems like a guy that's been one of uh, Jaron's favorite guys. Same with Cody Epps. I just think the wide receivers have been really good. That uh, they they've been kind of the focal point, and you know Isaac Rex has said that it's okay being a blocking tight end. You know, not many NFL tight ends 
are these Travis prolific Kelsey. receiving targets. Uh, but I just feel like you know it's part of the BYU DNA is the the tight end spot. Like you, when you look at BYU history, it's QBU and or not QBU, but like it's it's a place known for its QBs. And then to me, after that, it's tight ends, and and then after that, O line. Uh, so that that tight end spot should always be uh, outstanding. And you know, after Isaac Rex, I kind of look at the pipeline of of tight ends, and I get. A little bit worried, like if, if if Isaac Rex moved on after this year and went on to the NFL, uh, that's a thin room, and you don't have many answers at that spot. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's limited options right now at tight end, and I think Jaron's got uh, some just great, a lot more options at the wide receiver position. That's it's kind of a simple way of saying well, it, but I, I think that he's got to have a more willingness to go over the middle too, uh, and and make those uh, make those uh, tough throws over the middle sometimes. I will say, though, if you are angry about that aspect of Jaron's game, I don't know if Jaron Hall is the person to put the the anger towards because Aaron Roderick is coaching it a specific way. He has said multiple times this year, we take care of the football. That's our winning recipe. We won a lot of games doing it, and we don't want to put the ball in harm's way. And a lot of times, throwing over the middle to our Rex is a risky throw. It, it could get undercut and intercepted. So I do think there's a bit of coaching there where the emphasis is to check down. And, and I'm not going to criticize that. I've wanted that for a long time because I, th- I thought Zach Wilson wasn't very good at that, at just, hey, checking down. And look, Zach was a lot more risk-averse, and it led to more big plays, but it also led to more turnovers. And Jaron Hall has been less risk-averse and that's why he doesn't turn the football over. So there's a give and take. If you want to be a gunslinger and you want to be taking those chances, it's going to come with turnovers. And the current offensive coordinator has said that's not the football we want to play. And so I, there is that to consider. I think my one knock, and again, this is kind of an assumption based off of just what we're seeing and some of the trends with this year. The one knock I might have on Jaron would be I would love it if he just because in the preseason, Aaron Roderick said, Jaron Hall's got a lot of autonomy of this offense, more than any quarterback he's coached since being at BYU. I would love it if sometimes Jaron just got the play call and said, nope, yep. I'm calling my own play. Kind of like what Max Hall did in, in those years in 08 and 09, uh, where he basically said, you know what, I don't like that. But I think Jaron, it's it's kind of a sign of respect. Like I think Jaron's just a respectful individual. He's not going to run in the offense. Yeah, I mean, and he's going to respect his coach. Yep. You know, Aaron Roderick. Sometimes I wish he would just say, you know what, I don't like that play. I'm calling something else. And again, that's an assumption because I don't, I don't know the, the the dynamics of what that flow of communication is. Uh, but it just feels like some of the trends of what we've seen in like Notre Dame game, this game against East Carolina, Arkansas. Some of these play calls have been kind of head scratching in this losing streak. And I just wish sometimes Jaron would say, nope. I'm running something different. I'm yeah. running a different play call. We're going with something else. And I don't know if that's just him. He doesn't want to be disrespectful to his coach. I don't know. I, yeah. I, 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 it's, I think it's, that it's, might be my, my, my one knock on maybe Jared. It's hard to say because we've never been told I give two plays and he gets to choose. Right. Exactly. Um, but I, also, that, I wish it was that way. That though. spot against Arkansas where there's it's a fourth down and there's no play call at all. They're just drawing someone off the line. Like, Jaron has to go, guys, we're, here's the play. Yeah. Like, just you say in that moment, I. We have this call if, that, if though, needed. That particular situation was a coaching fail because 100%. Kalani exposed the situation, and Joe Tukwafu 
wasn't experienced in those situations, yep. and he made a mistake. And you can argue whether or not he should have been in the game at that point over Connor Pay. So that kind of, in a roundabout way, comes back to coaching. All right, let's get to some more texts here. I think we do need to address this. Texter 4153. Did you guys hear what happened to Peyton Wilgar and his wife? Yes, we did hear what happened to Peyton Wilgar and his wife. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we will summarize. And this is coming from the point of view of Peyton Wilgar's wife. Let's uh, remember that as we discuss this situation. She posted on Instagram that a captain of the team, which Peyton Wilgar is, could not get a parking pass. He is injured. She revealed the injury as well. It's a high ankle sprain. That's that's out there in the universe. That's why Peyton Wilgar has not played the past few games. Uh, he couldn't get a parking pass. He had to walk a mile. This is, again, from the perspective of Peyton Wilgar's wife. Uh, she was very unhappy and says that she can't wait to get out of Provo. Uh, thoughts on that situation, Mitch? Lots to unpack there. Yeah. Um, is it bad? My first thought was that TikTok sound, walk a mile in these Louis Vuittons. Oh, yes, it is bad. <laughs> walk a mile. You're an yeah. addict. I just railed on my wife last <laughs> night for TikTok. We can't live hey, our lives on TikTok. I'm just trying to have some fun. I'm just trying to lighten up the mood a little bit. No, I, I don't know. Like Part of that's a little bit entitled. Part of that also is... Is it a you know an organization issue of the whole program as a whole where they're not taking care of their own? Why isn't you know? I, and it was something that should be said too when it comes to the team bus because uh, some people were asking on social media why wasn't he on the bus? Typically, when guys aren't are, are injured, like when Puka was hurt, he wasn't on the team bus. He wasn't going through the Cougar Walk. He'd kind of go on his own. Entrance. I wouldn't want to go either. I'd rather sleep well, in my own bed than go, <laughs> right. to, go to the hotel. Right. I, I, I totally get it. So it's just kind of like a logistics thing of nailing down everything, making sure everything's buttoned up, everything's tight. Uh, comes off a little bit entitled, uh, you know, but that's her vantage point. Like, these are young people. Like, I, I get it. But it's, it's, it's just. It, it maybe it's a a thing where things can just be a little bit more buttoned up, but I, I mean I don't know yeah. the context of it. I don't know who's specifically in charge of that yeah. sort of thing. I don't know. Like that, it I, just seems my only criticism would be: would it be that hard to give injured players a wristband that they can take to the West parking lot? It's not full. We parked there, Matt. It's you know not what? full. I'm not gonna lie though. Is this an issue if they're winning? Like no, if, if you're walking not. a mile, it's, it's, if you're walking a mile in these Louboutins, or whatever, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But if you're walking a mile, it's absolutely in. in well, it's it's. I'll walk four miles. If there's seven and if there's seven and uh, two right now, it's not an issue if you're winning because winning cures all. But it also, I think, is an indictment of there are some loose ends in the program that need to get buttoned sure. up. I agree, like, and this it, is one of them. Yeah. You're a power five outlet now, and and the the bar is should be, be a story. Whether you're winning or not, your yeah. players should be taken care of. Yeah, and and I you know it's it was interesting earlier in the year. You know, Kalani noted about travel logistics and how those have been tightened up a bit because there were games last year against Baylor where they were like an hour away from Waco or like forty five minutes away. I can't remember the exact t- distance, but and they didn't get to to Waco McLean Stadium until about ninety minutes before kickoff and then you add the fact that it's a day game it just little things like that cannot happen when you are in a power five league it's inexcusable the whole operation has to be tight it has to be top shelf and and BYU's got the ability to do that and yeah I I hope that everything gets worked out and I'm sure it's just kind of one of those things where you would ideally like uh you know for it to be handled in-house 
You know, honestly, hundred percent. You know, yes. like, it, but at the same time, is it? A, it also gives a lens into: Do players just are they fed up? Because like we're married men, we vent sometimes to our wives about all things time. all the time, <laughs> and I'm sure Peyton's probably had some venting sessions, and it gives a little bit of a lens for sure into maybe the the feelings right now about how things have been going. Yeah, it's uh, it was certainly interesting. It, it's uh, it's probably being overblown. Yeah. But it, it it's it's not something big, but it's not nothing yeah, either. It, it's something sure. in between. It it all matters. I mean, everything in a in a program, it all matters. Yeah, and it all falls up ultimately to the head coach Kalani yep. Satake, and he's even said that as much. And and you know that's why again, you know, everything uh, from this program has to be reevaluated going into the Big Twelve. Like when I when we spoke in the media to Tom Holmo back in January. Tom, when asked about you know a lot about the Big Twelve, Tom typically talks to the media about once a year in January, and he was you know he's obviously excited about the Big Twelve move, but he understands this is not some it's not fun and games. It's not just stepping in and like yeah we're in like we've arrived. It's, it's like it, moving to a bigger house. It, it sounds great, <laughs> and then you get there, yikes. It's more cleaning. Yes. There's more, you know, utility bills higher. We've got to furnish it. There's rooms that don't have what they need. Utility, exactly. The lawn is a lot bigger. The maintenance on that thing is big. There's so much that goes into this. And uh, there's a big, so that's why the logistics of a program, the day in, day out operations, it's all got to be tightened up. And, you know, that's going to be the challenge. It goes beyond just sometimes even the, because even those, those off the field, Logistics things can then carry over into sometimes the performance yep. of the team if it's not all buttoned up. We got to take a break. On the other side, uh, we'll continue to read your texts and, and talk BYU football. We'll also have the top five coming up as well. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. We'll educate you about our jewelry so you'll leave feeling like an expert. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business, Shane Company and ShaneCo.com. Evan McMullen says he's independent. The Democrat Party knows he's not. Cheers rang loud after Utah Democrats reached a decision to join Evan McMullen. Democrats chose to... We're taking your text here on Cougar Sports Saturday. And thanks to all of you who have chimed in. Unfortunately, the show is not long enough to get to all of them, but uh, that's a testament to BYU fans and their passion about football. So thanks to all of you, and we apologize if we couldn't get to yours individually, but we we have read them, and we've heavily debated a lot of them off the air as well. So if you want to blame anyone, uh, KSL, if you could just cut out all the commercials on a post game. Uh, th- no, I'm kidding. That, that's not how radio works, but uh, thank you. Here's a good one from 5560. Why won't they use Houston Hamuli? It makes no sense. I agree. And Houston's a guy that we thought in spring ball was going to be someone that was a factor. Yeah. And we saw him getting utilized. And look, spring ball is is not the— It's experimental. Yeah, it's you're, you're experimenting things. But uh, just give him a chance. You know, what do you got to lose? You know, in those spots last night where 5-4, and 4-4, four, four and four, like the season's underperforming. No matter what, even if you won last night, this is an underperforming season— and why not use him? Why not try something different? Give him a chance. And because this is a guy that sacrificed, you know, maybe just moving on with life and pursuing. Like he's a he's a pre med guy. Like he's a smart dude. 
ton of He went to Stanford for four years. He's, He's a, a smart, smart guy. guy. He's going to have so much success post-football. And it's like, But he wanted a chance to be at BYU because BYU means something to him. And, it's uh, his faith's university. Yeah, and and uh, I just like to see what that looks like. Give him a chance. See yeah. what it, see what it does. Because he's got a, he's a guy that doesn't have an agenda. He doesn't need to touch the rock. Just let him get a block. He also has someone. though a specialty for something that BYU has need of. BYU hadn't run the ball for over two hundred yards until last night, before, it, it, since the home op- uh, since the opener, excuse me, at South Florida. Yeah. They couldn't run the ball, and you have a guy on your roster who played in a running system, who started at fullback and was effective at a lead-blocking role, why wouldn't you want to see if that could help? It just doesn't make sense. And then, to to drill in even further, Mitch, you have two fourth downs, short yardage, where you're running up the middle. You can't tell me that Houston Haymuli couldn't have made a difference there in blocking for Miles Davis for maybe being someone that pushes Jaron Hall on a quarterback sneak. And look, I know that was a hurried play where there weren't Mm -hmm. any subs, but maybe it makes more sense to sub and get the jumbo package. Because what happened to the jumbo package? Where's the the power play where you've got Houston, Mason, and Isaac all blocking for somebody? Where, Where is it? We haven't seen it all year. And it's just you, the Houston thing has really bothered me this year. Just because of everything I just said, which is he has a particular specialty, and it happens to be that your team struggles with what this guy does best, blocking in the run game. Go figure. Yeah, It, it is. You bring up the USF game. That's, that seems like a lifetime ago. But I remember <laughs> leaving Raymond James Stadium and thinking, this is going to be a fun BYU football season. Uh, you know, it, it's it's wild to think, and I know South Florida has been – the one team on BYU schedule that's just bad, terrible. They're awful. They hung with Florida, by the way, who was anointed, <laughs> who was anointed after Week One. Just should be just to note that. But uh, you know, it, it's just it's it's wild how things have evolved this year. Uh, because there was after that Week One performance, even though I felt USF was a bad team, like BYU crushed them. Like they were a bad team, though. And you know, I will say this: we should give some credit to this schedule as far as. The quality of the teams, you know, like I, I will, I, it's not the, it's not, doesn't paint the whole picture because BYU has had some self-inflicted wounds, clearly. But, you know, these teams have been really good. I mean, Oregon, good. Uh, very good. Very They might good. be in the playoff. Very good and favorites to win the Pac-12. Yeah. Wyoming's solid. Like, they're going to go bowling. Can, Utah State's bounce back. Can we back. just spend 30 seconds quickly on Wyoming? Just from a coaching perspective. Half their team freaking left, and they brought in a whole new team, and they're good. Think about that. Yeah. It, look, BYU is going to probably they, – not probably. They, they could go to a bowl. We'll see. But, you know, Notre Dame still got some talent. I mean, like I'm not trying to make excuses here, but I, I, it's, it's been interesting how week after week BYU is not only facing some pretty good teams, but they're super motivated. Like East Carolina did a the troll 12, job yeah. on, on Big 12. Like, it's just been interesting how week after week there's this – whether it's the Super Bowl for Liberty, it's the Big 12 angle for East Carolina. They're just getting some really dialed-in teams, and that's been a new dynamic that I'm not used to because sometimes with independence, you'll get opponents that's just like... But with that being said, you got Notre Dame and Vegas. I, that's I neutral. It. You're not in South Bend. You got the SEC at home. You got East Carolina at home. I'm like, They're you all got to win those games. Yeah, I, I'm not making excuses. It's just it's been a different dynamic 
when it comes to the schedule this year. We got to take a break. Uh, top five coming up next. We'll have a little bit of a change of pace here. So Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Got it for three. Cougars by twenty. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. KSL News Time, 1.37 p.m. We're live here in Salt Lake City at Broadcast House talking some BYU football, as we always do every single week from noon to 3. If this is your first time listening to us, and if you're a regular listener, we always appreciate all of our listeners tuning in to the show. You can check out the show, if you miss any part of it, on our podcast feed on kslsports.com. Now, our favorite part of the program. Cougar Sports Saturday Top 5. Mitch and Matt Clash in a weekly battle of BYU sports knowledge. The Cougar Sports Saturday Top 5. It's pretty simple. Our producer, Dallin Graff, who's going to join us here momentarily, digs through the archives, finds some topical list. Sometimes it's statistically based. Other times it's Dallin's preference. And me and Mitch <laughs> compete. And it has been a bloody battle for years. <laughs> we're, we're, we're like... What neck at fifty fifty or who has separated by one? Mitch leads fifty four to fifty three. Wow, that hurts. I've had the lead my entire radio career here at KSL until last week, right? Or two uh, weeks yeah, until ago? The, until the last time we did it, yeah. Mitch is on a three game. Mitch is win having streak. a good year. Unlike the BYU football team, it's been a good October for Mitch. <laughs> Uh, BYU's on a losing streak. I'm on a winning streak. There you go. What would you rather have? BYU football be good or have the edge in the top five? Hmm. That's a good question. I'll I'll take the edge in the top five. (laughs) Priorities (laughs) of the smart man. You get Look, I'd rather have a winning BYU team. I'd rather be talking about BYU in the playoff rankings. But, hey, in this moment, I'm saying top five. It's all in on the top five. Love it. All right. We we do love it. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it a little more positive. We're going to focus on some positive uh, at this point in the show uh, as we've had to react to this East Carolina So is this a Mountain Dew top five then? You know, I could have gone. Yeah, if I I wanted to just go completely left field and let's talk about something we love, that would have been a great (laughs) one. But uh, we're going to talk about Cody Epps because Cody Epps, Hmm. despite not playing in this game last week, has had a great season. And I think he's been one of the – uh, the bright spots of this disappointing season as you look ahead Absolutely. of the Big 12 and what he could be. Uh, in eight games this season, he's got 39 receptions, 459 yards, and six touchdowns. And again, eight games. Didn't play last night against East he Carolina. He was missed last night, by the way. He was. Certainly could have used his dynamism after the catch, you know, making moves. Bill Walton reference there. <laughs> But he's had a good season. He leads BYU in receptions this year with 39 receptions in eight games. Uh, and I decided to look back at the Independence era, and today's top five is the leaders in single-season receptions at BYU during the Independence era. So we're going to look at some of these uh, best Career. seasons. Uh, single seasons single or seasons. careers? Yeah, so you got to give me the player and the year that they performed in, uh, and then we'll go from there. But we're going to look at some of the best seasons from past catchers of the Independence era, and uh, you know maybe we're projecting a little bit of what Cody Epps could be next year. All right. So we'll uh, we'll start with Matt this week. Uh, you get the start, so a chance to break 
the uh, I'm not going to let this guy haunt me like he has in previous years. 2015, Mitch Matthews. Oh, my. Oh, my. Dax Milne, 2020. Oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll start with Dax Milne, which is correct. He's number three on this list, 70 receptions in 2020. Matt's uh, aghast here uh, trying to process what's happening. But uh, Dax Milne, 2020, yes, 70 receptions, over 1,000 yards, catch of passes from Zach Wilson. He's... Uh, led on, led on to the NFL. Had it? He's had a nice role with the Commanders, right? As a seventh round pick yeah. and uh, carved out a nice career for himself. Hey, BYU didn't didn't beat Liberty a couple weeks ago, but BYU fans can say Dax Milne beat Antonio Gandy Golden for the roster spot with the Commanders <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> that he did. There you go. There that you he go. did. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, Matt. Back to you. Maybe redemption. No, it's, no, it's oh, just turn. me. Hey. Yeah, it's me. It is. Double it up here. It's me. Uh, I'm him. Uh, oh, jeez. The, the bowling <laughs> reference. <laughs> that was good. Puka Nakua last year. No, no Puka last year. All right. Let's go with... Um, I'm going to go with Jordan Leslie, mm. 2014. Oh, yeah, that's that's a tough one there, and he just misses out. He's number six on this list with his fifty-five receptions in twenty fourteen. Let's go with Mitchell Jurgens twenty sixteen. Twenty twelve Cody Hoffman. Jeez, Louise. There we go. Let's get on the board there. Yeah, twenty twelve Cody Hoffman. Well done, Matt. He's number one on here. One hundred receptions. In 2012, uh, by far number one on this list. I mean, incredible season for him, incredible career, but that uh, you know, sort of the highlight of it all. Cody Hoffman's the man. He was at a BYU game a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I said, "Hey, there's one of the greats who ever did it." I don't have any other commentary on Cody other than that. He was great. I, here's the commentary, honestly, Mitch. You and I were both there. We did not know each other, but when he burst onto the scene, it was obvious yeah. that he was going to be a playmaker from day one. I think BOU's got to find a few more of those type of guys where just from the get-go, you know that they're going to be a, a difference maker come the Big 12. Because he was he was exactly that when he stepped on foot for BYU. No doubt. All right, uh, Mitch. No, back. no. Back to me. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I God, you guys are keeping track. I am him. <laughs> All righty, Matt. Take the lead here. What do you got? 2011, Cody Hoffman. Ring me up, baby. There you go. Uh, can't go wrong with this guess I, uh, today, it looks like. Uh, yeah, 20, 2011, Cody Hoffman, 61 receptions. That's good for fourth uh, here in this top five. Uh, again, 61 receptions there for Cody Hoffman. Another solid season. I'll say 2013, Cody Hoffman. <laughs> well, and if that's the theme for you today, it was a lot of Cody Hoffman in the Independence yeah. era. Three big seasons, 57 receptions in 2013. Again, snuck snuck ahead of Jordan Leslie there uh, in the top five. Mm. But, uh, you know, that stretch there of three years from uh, 2011 to 2013, I mean, 200-plus receptions over those three years. Is BYU going to see a wide receiver like put up numbers like that? It just seems with the way they spread the ball now, that's just uh, unrealistic. You have to wonder, uh, to answer your question quickly, no, I don't think so. You have to wonder, though, some of the best BYU offenses didn't have all the options. I'm talking recent memory, past 20 years. Like the 
the Harvey Young, Dennis Pitta, Austin Cauley offense, it went to those three right. most of the time. And in the Cody Hoffman era, it was pretty much Cody Hoffman. So you'd have to wonder, like, you have the options, which is great, but you do lose featuring guys like, you know, Isaac Rex has become a casualty to the options. So it is it is kind of interesting to think about the two different approaches. Yeah. All right, uh, we are tied at two. One guest left, and again, we're looking for the most single-season single season receptions in the Independence era. So far, we've guessed Cody Hoffman, 2012, Dax Milne, 2020, Cody Hoffman, 2011, and Cody Hoffman, 2013. One guess left. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, is it? Is it's it, me, baby. Oh, oh geez. It's okay. me, baby. One guess left. I think I'm going to have to go with uh, 2019, Micah Simon. Good guess. 51 receptions for Micah Simon in 2019, but he doesn't quite crack the top five. I'm going to go with 2020 Gunner Romney. Mm. Yeah, no Gunner 2020, but a good guess there. Back to Matt. Holy smokes. This is getting crazy. No Gunner Romney in 2020. This feels like a trick question all of a sudden. Let's go with uh, 20... Man, let's go with 2016 Mitchell Jurgens. No, no. And we, I'll give you a hint here on this last one. We were very close to this earlier in the top five. Hmm. How about 2018 Lopini Katoa? We were very close to this. A little this. different guess there. I like that, Mitch. 20, we were very close to this earlier in the top five. Hmm. Let's go with, my goodness, this is tricky. There's not that many options left. I feel like uh, I have to buy some time here. Let's go 20, oh my goodness. Let's go 2014 Mitch Jurgens. 2019 Aleva Hifo. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Oh, I, I don't feel like I can't say any more without yeah, giving it away. We've been you can't. very close. So let's go with twenty. Let's go with twenty uh, twenty fourteen. Mitch Matthews. Yes, uh, Mitch Matthews, my guy. Nice. I rode on a plane with him after the Oregon loss. I love you, Mitch Matthews. He always decides these top fives. <laughs> he always. We does. need to have him on. <laughs> we and do. just say, Mitch. You've decided like eight top five games. <laughs> How do you feel? Well, you know, Matt oh. guesses twenty fifteen Mitch Matthews and he had a twenty fourteen Mitchell Jurgens, and I'm like, we're so close. He had a Mark Rober, who's my favorite YouTuber, to quote him, butt ton of touchdowns in twenty fifteen. <laughs> so yes. I thought that yes. was the year. Hey, you're gonna get in the YouTube wars. What's inside? That's my crew. What's inside's nice. <laughs> What's inside's nice, but come on. Mark Rober's he's like I don't know, Mark Rober. Are You're you kidding. kids? I'm going to text you a video tonight. You're going to sit down with that your... That Utah County based? No, he's in the Bay Area. Come join the he's, fun He was an squad. engineer at NASA and Apple. Now he does YouTube. Science-based YouTube. You're going to sit down with your boys tonight, and you're going to watch the video I send you, and your life will be changed. I've seen a lot of fun squad. I've seen a lot of what's inside. <laughs> I've seen the... The top two anyway. YouTube channels can't be disputed. Mark Rober, number one. One B is dude perfect. So here we go. Dallin, if BYU loses to Utah Tech, we will do a top five segment 
where we just break down the top YouTube creators. That's that's that'll <laughs> like, be. I'd have some it, strong it, opinions. That's how. On that's who's how, your favorite YouTube creator? Ooh, uh, I I watch I watch a lot of history and geography channels. So have Atlas you watched Pro, Mark Rober? Shout out to Atlas Pro. That's my favorite. YouTube. Have you watched Mark Rober? I've not. Okay, not. but so, I'm gonna look it up. I Is it, it? I'm gonna I'm gonna get you started with the perfect video today. <laughs> Am I terrible to say my favorite YouTube person is Snap to Tackle? I love oh, yes. Snap to Tackle. I <laughs> love Snap to Tackle. That is. is doing us a solid. Snap to work. Tackle. Uh, Matthew loves ball. Yes, and yes. then also uh, I think he used to be a thing. BYU fans that are like the deep cuts, they will appreciate this. I think Furious Monkey. Snap to Tackle. Back in the day, Snap to Tackle makes me angry. Last thing, we'll get to a break. Jennerstein back in the day. Snap to Tackle makes me angry when you realize that the game takes seventeen minutes. But you sit there for four hours. Last night, I'm literally I'm, I'm sitting in between Dallin and Mitch at the game, and I look over at one point, and this is this is BOU's fault. I look over, I'm like, my gosh, it's 9:42. This game's going to be like a five-hour football. This is like in the third quarter. You remember this? Yes. And then BOU's clock was wrong. And did anyone else notice that? Text five five zero zero. Their clock was wrong. Gotta and- button it up, man. <laughs> Bright your marks rolling into town next year. But I felt like we were going to be in that game for five hours because the <laughs> clock was throwing me off. Anyways, football games have gotten long. Yeah. I also had a good laugh at the replay. You maybe not noticed this on TV, but when they did the instant replay, the ref had to run the full length of the field to go look at the TV. <laughs> oh, good good job on the win, Matt. Thanks, Congrats Mitch. to you. And uh, we're tied up. All, all-time series now tied in the top five. We'll be back at it. Next week, uh, breaking down some more BYU football and BYU basketball season preview coming up here on Cougar Sports Saturday. Welcome back in. Cougar Sports Saturday. We've had a great time today talking a lot of football. So thanks to you guys, BYU fans, for texting in. It's not fun to nitpick and to criticize, but it's big-time college football. And I feel better. I'm ready for BYU-Boise now. Yeah, Bring it on. I do. I, I, we talked it out. It's a good point. We shared our feelings. We're I do feel ready better. ready to, to get out to and that we blue. And we can summarize it with just a few bullet points. Yeah. Play Houston A. Mooley. Throw the ball to Isaac Rex a little more. Be a little smarter on fourth down, and maybe they'll go to a bowl game. And and at the end of the day, when push comes to shove on those fourth downs, get it to, get it to the playmakers. A hundred percent. Get it to Jaron. Get it to Puka. I know you don't want to run Jaron, but how cool would it be to have Houston and Wake out there, and you have a yeah. Saints Taysom Hill package where you know it's just a run, but you've got ten guys blocking, and Jaron Hall is if you can't get a yard. It, in that situation, then the season's over. The good thing is that when the season does end, whenever, whenever that may be, end of November, postseason at a bowl game, uh, BYU basketball is going to be around, and BYU hoops is going to be an interesting season, Matt. Very. Last year of the West Coast Conference era for BYU, and they'll have an exhibition coming up against Ottawa. No, it's not, uh, you know, Gregor Bell's team of Canada. It's Ottawa, Arizona. It's an exhibition game. And uh, I don't think Greg's from Ottawa. He's Calgary, right? I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. We'll have to check. Uh, but they'll have an exhibition this week. Earlier in the week, they had a scrimmage, blue-white scrimmage. And it was kind of fun, you know, just kind of getting some some knowledge of this team because it's 
just a completely overhauled roster and everyone's pretty much new outside of, you know, a handful of guys. There's 12 new faces and even some of the returning guys are pretty much new because we didn't see much from them last year in terms of Trey Stewart, Atiki. We saw flashes, but still new. And uh, so it's a new group and anything can happen. I don't think the expectations are high. They're tied for third in the preseason WCC poll, but Kind of your early read in BYU hoops as we transition the hour three to our BYU basketball season preview. Yeah, my my early read is this team is going to be a lot more interesting than we think, and I think this might be the most versatile team that Coach Pope has ever had. And whether or not that's going to result in wins or losses, I don't know because it, to me, the success of the team is going to come down to can they shoot the three ball well? If they can be a top ten three point shooting team like they were the first year of Mark Pope, then they could surprise a lot of people and maybe be a fringe tournament team. That's probably unrealistic to expect that, but they have so many options because there's there's a lot of uh, defensive ability. You have a lot of interchangeable players where you can do a lot of different things with lineups. Uh, and I think a lot of that is thanks to Jackson Robinson and Noah Waterman coming in just because they, they're kind of freaky lengthwise. So... I'm really interested to see this team, but the thing that I want to see the most is the development of the young guys. Uh, no offense to Rudy Williams or Noah Waterman, but I want to see Dallin Hall, Tanner Toulson, Richie Saunders. I want to see them make an impact. Yeah, It's going to be a fun year, and we're going to break it all down. BYU basketball season preview coming up next here on Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by kslsports.com. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Got it for three. Cougars by 20. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. BYU basketball season is back. We're breaking it down here on KSL Sports and joined now by the head coach of the Cougars, year four for Mark Pope. But, coach, I got to ask, does it feel a little bit like a year one? When And I remember yeah. I bring this up because I remember it was your post game pre- conference with. Uh, with Rebel at the end of that Washington State game, and you mentioned something along the lines of feels like a little bit of a new job. Yeah. The Big yeah. 12. Yeah. New roster, new conference coming down the pipe. Feel like a little bit of a year one again? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in so many different ways. So it feels like year one, we kind of had this three-year run um, where we had some turnover, but we also had some some major pieces of continuity the whole time. That feels new. It's a post-Alex Barcelo era, which, you know, we've talked about. I've never won a game at BYU without him. In the starting lineup, if you think about that, that's crazy. You know, we did a lot of retooling and rethinking about, you know, we, we, we were in the top 25 for three straight years, which we're incredibly proud of. Like, that's, a, that's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. That's so hard to do. But we finished two of those years ranking the top 25. And with that said, we felt like we weren't even close to winning at all, right? And so we've had this uh, incredible amount of success, but... We're so far from where we're trying to get to. It, it made us retool, so, you know, really do deep dives and kind of rethink about, you know, how can we take, 
you know, take that next step. And that, that is, you know, that's next to impossible. I mean, there's only a few teams that do it. Add on to that, this idea of moving into the Big 12, we're one year away. This is the first time we've walked into the season uh, with so much lead up knowing that. Um, so there's a lot of considerations coming, just long-term considerations. That, And then, you know, finally, kind of the composition of this team, it kind of feels in some ways like year one. We were pretty undersized year one. Um, we were pretty skilled year one. The only difference between this year and year one is we were veteran, veteran year one. And this year we're young, young. And Foreign so trip too in that yeah, year one. Yeah, and so the, 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 the thing with the, the difference between this year and year one is, is, is double-edged, right? So we're really, really young. So there's going to be some growing pains. But we actually have a group together right now that has a chance to grow together for the next two or three years. And I think the potential there on our staff and in our locker room is high enough that we could actually grow into something better than we've been. And, and that's what I wanted to ask too, Coach, with uh, you know th- that new and young roster that you kind of have here. Was it also having a little bit of a vision yeah. for the Big 12? Because I, I know you can't assume – Everything's kind of year by year with these dynamic rosters, right. as you've noted. But was that kind of the play here, too? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, for sure. For sure, we knew that we, like I said, there was this feeling after year three. It was like, like what we've accomplished, we're incredibly proud of. And on top of that, we're not even close. And so it's kind of thing like where you have to have the courage to break it, even though it's been really, really good. We've had an unbelievable start. It's kind of like we got to break it to see if we can rebuild it a new way better. And that is terrifying, actually, as a leader of an organization, because why are you breaking something that's been so successful? But you know we're not we're not swinging for that. We're swinging for for higher levels, and 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 so we got to try. Big 12's down the road, obviously this year though. Uh, all focus on the last season, the WCC, and you guys start off at pretty good spot in Ken Palm, number 44. Yeah. Was that you've got to be pretty happy about that? I mean, opportunities are in front of you with that schedule. Yeah, I don't know what that means exactly. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think Ken Palm is a genius guy. He's actually underpicked us for the first three years, and so maybe he's just like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overpick these guys one time. I don't know. Um, the one thing I know is those analytics really start to mean something ten games in. Ten games in, you're gonna have a real feel of what it, of what it's saying about your program. We actually believe in the data. Like the data is a hundred is a is definitely a slice of how we approach this, and so we'll be way more interested in those numbers ten games in, and we're gonna be really interested in twenty five games in because I think this is a team that has a chance to get better and better and better and better as the season goes on. Jackson Robinson noted that he got his waiver. Uh, Noel Waterman, he's good to go to? Or was yeah, my expectation is I got all these guys. So, you know, that's that's a huge deal for us because we're a little bit undermanned anyway. And so um, I'm super happy for these guys um, that they get a chance to play right away and, and uh, I'm super happy for our team. How good can Foose become in this program? I, I, I ask that because... I think back, I looked at some of the stat lines he produced yeah. last year, and, and he was navigating the hamstring, yep. and uh, yep. uh, just how good can Foose become? Yeah, you know, the first thing with Foose is, is his health. Like, th- that's going to be the limiting factor, the first limiting factor. Like, we got to find a way to get him healthy and keep him healthy so that he can grow. Every time, every time he, for every athlete, it's not unique to Foose, but every time you suffer an injury, it just, you're stuck in some ways. You can keep growing your game in some ways, but some ways you're stuck. And, and so keeping him healthy is really important. And then his, his ceiling is ridiculously high. You know, we, we, we have grand long-term visions of being able to move him off of the five. We'll see how that goes. 
you know, he missed a bunch of the summer, and so we didn't quite make the progress there we wanted. But he has added a ton to his skill set with the time he's had. And his, you know, uh, what he's doing in practice right now is is uh, staggering. The impact, you know, you finish a practice like, ah, man, Foose didn't have his best day, and he's a leading scorer and leading rebounder, leading assist guy, and has zero turnovers. Like, well, maybe our standards is a little hyperinflated for him. He is growing into an, just an incredible leader on and off the court, and internationally in his community, and with government officials in Mali. Like, watching watch him grow as a person is incredible. It's going to be exciting to see Foose. It's also going to, you know, I think back to last year. He, as you noted, he kind of saved some games yep. as a freshman. Yep. Is there any freshman that, it, it, obviously, you don't want to have to turn to him, but they're going to yeah. be a big piece to it. Yep. Uh, who, who could be some of those guys? Well, this Dallin Hall comes in with a huge reputation, and he's an elite-level leader Like it, because he's taught himself to be a leader, and he's, he's just born that way in some ways. Uh, Richie Saunders is a motor that never quits. He, has, he knows one speed. Like, he knows one speed and is, like, frothing of the mouth intense. And so he has had a huge impact on our practices. Tanner Toulson has is, is been spectacular in terms of, you know, he was, he was injured for the last seven months of his mission and then um, having a tough time just walking and then came back and was treated by our, you know, our performance crew has been so unbelievable. And, and so he missed the entire summer even after he got back. But um, he's getting better every single day. And this Braden Moore is is figuring out the pace of this game, and he's got a chance to kind of help us in some ways. And and then we have this crew of walk-ons that are that are really special, uh, young guys. Um, so we have really really good freshman class. That um, it's hard being a freshman. It's hard being a return missionary freshman. But these guys, in terms of what they can grow into and the impact that they can have in the long run, is super exciting. You mentioned the walk-ons. That, you know, could any of them contribute? You think? Well, you know, who's interesting trading Christians right now. He's out with a knee. Right Right now, but just for a couple weeks, just need to get it scoped and cleaned up. But he's had a real impact on our on our team. Interestingly, you know, he's he, in his college career, he's spent most of his time as the point, even though he's six six two forty. But he is. There's a chance he really helps us on the court, and people are going to see shades of Dalton Nixon. They're going to feel like Dalton Nixon. He's that way as a passer and a playmaker. Um, he's not shooting it like Dalton. Dalton was shooting 40% his senior year. But in terms of his toughness, physicality, ability to make plays, um, he's been spectacular. Um, but all these walk-ons are making an impact. Um, uh, Tanner Hayhurst is a guy that um, had scholarship opportunities, decided to come here and just got back from his mission, and he's been unflappable. Nate Webb is a, you know, his dad played here, and he's got a alumni history here and he was a big time scorer in junior college and uh, Nate has uh, not only become a, a internet uh, dating sensation at BYU but he's also uh, a skilled player that actually makes plays where he's like what well, you know you kind of he, he surprised you in a really really good way how dong uh, has been like such a gift to our locker room he's the director and um, creative uh, artist and producer of the Twin Towers TikTok, which you have got to check out. I don't know if there is on social media if there's a more um, uncomfortable uh, TikTok, would you call it a page, station, I don't know, channel, whatever yeah. it is, than what uh, he's directing uh, food, uh, uh, Tiki and, and, uh, and Noah to do. Uh, so, uh, and then Jared McGregor is actually a great story. This, this Jared McGregor had zero chance of being on this roster. Uh, he knew that 
I told him that, and and he just was relentless. He he was in the gym every single day from the day the season ended to now, dragging guys into the gym, finding guys to shoot with, finding guys to play one on one, and um, dude's wearing a jersey right now. I'm super proud of him and happy for him. So we got a great group of walk on. Yeah. Coach, I always appreciate the time and. Uh, uh, best of luck here in year four and uh, uh, having, a, having a great time. I know you always keep it fun and always appreciate the, uh, covering this program. And uh, thanks, man. I, I appreciate the, the time. Thanks. So great for it. Next up at the symphony, two masterworks that made Tchaikovsky one of the most beloved composers in music history. On October 21st and 22nd, witness his symphony number no. five. A journey of haunting melodies, shocking climaxes, charming elegance, and joyful abandon. Then, on November 5th and 6th, internationally acclaimed pianist Andrei Korobynikov joins the Utah Symphony for Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto No. 1. Get your tickets starting at $21 at utahsymphony.org. I was ready to sell my whole bin blasting business. I was burnt out after a year of running things by myself. But then I told my story on TikTok and everything changed. Have you seen how many cans are on the street on garbage day? Suddenly, I was getting millions of views and tons of inquiries. Joined by Spencer Johnson now here on Cougar Sports Saturday. A lot of turnover on this team, Spencer. Uh, how has the new pieces started to gel throughout practice? Well, they've been great. The dudes have come in and, and they're working super hard. They're trying to, you know, learn learn our system and and the calls that we make and, and how we do things and it's been awesome. They've been super receptive and they're just great guys. I love working with them. How was your off season? What what you work on and how do you feel like you've improved from last year? Well, it's been great. You know, individually, I've been been working on my shot every day. Um, been working on you know making reads off the bounce. But one thing I'd say the biggest stride that I've made, you know. Personally, for myself, physically, was I put on 18 pounds this offseason. Wow. Which is, it's like you hit the weight room. Yeah, which has been so good for me. It's been awesome. That is. First off, I guess my question to that would be, what was your diet like to put on 18 pounds? Man, you don't want to know. <laughs> Five, 6,000 calories a day. You're kidding me. Yeah. So, I mean, you're pretty much eating all day long, right? Yeah. Chicken, protein shakes. Lots of food. couple meals every day, like five meals every day lots of snacks lots of protein shakes it becomes a job it's like a little chore wow that's uh 18 pounds man that's that's awesome let's talk about some of the change uh i mean i mean there's we've talked about some of the personnel a little bit but it goes beyond just the personnel some coaching changes uniform changes we'll get to those in a minute how is uh coach finnell fit in here in in this short time being on the staff dude he is so cool he has a really cool story He's been around, uh, you know, some different universities coaching, and yep. um, he actually didn't even start out in coaching. He was he was working um, in a sales job, so he's just a super good, like, really personable guy. He works super hard. He, he knows the game, and he's committed. And um, I've grown pretty close with him in his, his little short time here. What what kind of impact do you think he has uh, on the court? Like, is he a defensive guy? Like. Where does he fit in just from a, a role perspective on this staff? He's been leading our charge in playing in transition, and he's been really good at breaking it down in simple ways that, that we can understand and then encouraging us to, you know, attack off the bounce when you when you get those opportunities or just making reads and, and things like that. 
he's just been super, super great to work with. I think it's been fun in the offseason for a lot of fans to see some of the social media interactions. I, I know uh, Jim are making a return and pretending to be a walk-on was fun. <laughs> just what's it like to be a player at a place that not only welcomes alumni back, but also has a lot of alumni that had a lot of success, not only on the court, be it at the NBA or mm -hmm. professionally, just what is it like to be a player to have those kind of connections and resources here? Oh, it's awesome. So we talk about this all the time. Where we're like, we, as current players, we owe a lot of our success, you know, the, the fan base and the reason that people are excited about BYU. We owe it to these guys that came before us because, I mean, they really built this thing, mm -hmm. you know. <clears throat> and so it's always cool when you can interact with those guys. You can learn their story and, you know, what they went through because you're like, hey, somebody else did it. Like, I'm, I'm not alone here. And then kind of on, like, the, the Jimmer thing, you know, were you guys at the Midnight Madness? Did you see yeah. that at all? Yeah. It was nuts. Yeah. So he was there, and, and he was hanging out with us in the locker room a little bit before the whole thing started. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there, and I was like, man, my 11, 12-year-old self right now is just, like, <laughs> losing his mind. Because that was, like, his biggest dream was just, like, meet Jimmer, you yep. know? And I'm, like, sitting here just having a, a conversation with him, and he knows who I am. And yep. It's just... It's super cool, man. Super cool here. What are the expectations of this team with, with so many new new players? Because I think a lot of people from the outside looking in say, wow, they lost so many guys. Like, you know, if they can just compete in the WCC, that'd be great mm -hmm. considering the turnover. Internally, though, what are your guys' expectations for this year? Yeah. You know what? I actually love that. I love kind of being discounted a little bit and flying under the radar because in my mind, you know, that, that makes for a better story. And that's kind of how, you know, personally my life has gone totally. in, in a basketball world. And so I really like it. I think that we're going to surprise a lot of people this year. We're going to be better than what people think. I know that's talk right now, but I'm, I'm excited to, you know, really showcase that here in a couple of weeks. Last thing for you, I'm going to let you go. Uh, now that the, you know, the, you're full on grind mode, season's right around the corner. Do you and your wife have any uh, opportunities to do anything fun over, over, over the off season? Yeah. Took a trip to California. She has some family out there. Okay. We stayed there. Went to San Diego, L.A. Oh, nice. Caught a Dodgers game. Okay. Which was fun. And then... Eliminated she, from the playoffs. But. <laughs> sensitive subject. <laughs> yeah. And then she has some family out in Miami. So we actually went out there and we spent 10 days in Miami, which was super fun. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Coast My first coast. time. Coast to coast. You can tell we're, we're big beach people, right? Yep, totally. Hey, I am too. So those are the type of trips I would take as well. Totally. All right, Spencer, you're the man. I appreciate the time. Cool. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Got it for three. Cougars by 20. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back into Cougar Sports Saturday. We're talking BYU hoops because we can't talk anymore about the BYU football program after what happened last night against East Carolina. And basketball gets underway in about a week's time, their home opener is against Idaho State on November 7th. They do have an exhibition game this week against Ottawa, Arizona. Right now, though, we want to get out and talk with one of the up-and-coming players on this year's team, fresh off a mission, 
He is the uh, maybe the backup point guard, Dallin Hall. Dallin, thanks for joining us here on Cougar Sports Saturday. Back off the mission, fresh on the BOU basketball team. Uh, just how have workouts been for you um, coming off the mission? I imagine it's a challenge getting back to where you were before you left. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of an interesting mindset, right, trying to get back to where you were. But honestly, it's been really good. It's been a process for sure. Um, our strength and conditioning coach has been huge for me this summer. His name's Coach Shork, mm-hmm. and he's just really helped me to take it one step at a time. And that's led to a bunch of huge growth throughout the course of the summer. So I'm excited to keep working with him and keep getting stronger and keep getting better. Are there any things that you can take away from the mission that will help you as a college basketball player? Yeah, there definitely is. On the mission, I definitely learned the the attribute of diligence. And, you know, before my mission, I think I worked hard, but I don't think I managed my time super well. And the mission helped me a lot with managing my time, which is crucial here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> you know, can you imagine. You got schoolwork, you got ball, a little bit of a social life. <laughs> <laughs> and so just trying to manage all of that, the mission helped me a ton in that regard. And I would say another huge thing it helped me with is, you know, teaching me how to interact with people, how to respect them, how to help them feel valued and loved. And I think that translates to sports, to yep. business, no matter where you go in the world. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but you did not serve in the place that uh, your call was generated. Is that right? Yep. So you were called foreign, and then you stayed stateside, right? Yeah. What was California like in a pandemic? Yeah, honestly, I don't know what to compare it to since it felt like everything was locked down in Utah when I left. Like, everywhere was locked down. But When did you leave again? I left July 1st. Oh, yeah. So you left right in the thick of the pandemic. Yeah. So fair enough. Yeah, you're right. I'm not sure what the differences were. Luckily, the Central Valley was pretty open compared to other missions, so I yeah. got to get out a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, last mission question for you, then we can talk some ball. But what is the craziest thing that happened to you on your mission? Because I feel <laughs> like, regardless of who served, there's one or two just wild things that happened on a mission that are maybe a story you'll probably tell the rest of your life. Yeah. There's one story that I is actually insane and I'll try and narrow it down (laughs) it was pretty amazing honestly for me so my dad he served his mission in Micronesia which is like some islands in the Pacific middle of nowhere and then I'm in Fresno right of all places yep and I knock on this door and we meet two girls who are from those islands wow they speak that language and so my dad with the technology we have, he got to teach them in their language with me being present. Wow. And they actually decided to to follow Christ and to be baptized, and he got to come out and baptize them. So. What an amazing story and moment that most people don't get to experience, doing missionary work with your father. Yeah, it was insane. Wow. That is a cool story, though. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, the mission's in the rear view now, and now you're on to your college career. How do you think you can help this year's basketball team? Coach Pope has told me the most important thing I can do for him and for the team this year is to stay healthy so I'm available. And then I think that what I can bring to the table is my ability to make my teammates better. That's something that I've always tried to do is to play the game of basketball the right way to share the ball. And God has gifted me with an ability to see the floor, which um, Coach Pope has helped me to kind of enhance and improve on and it's definitely going to take a little bit more time with each rep, but I think that's what I can help my team with the most is creating for them and helping them to get great shots. 
Are there any uh, NBA guys that played or still play that you try to emulate? Not the right word because I, I do believe down that everyone has their own game. No one's a perfect copy of anybody. But are there guys that you watch and you're like, oh, I want to implement that into my game? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably with like three and a half billion other people, but Steph Curry. <laughs> um, that's why I wear 30 is because of him, his influence on me. I don't think there's someone who's watched more Steph Curry highlights. Wow. I mean, I don't know if I should say this openly, but in high school I used to be in class just watching below my desk. <laughs> well, your time so, management's better now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I just watch it in the hot tub. <laughs> um but, yeah, he's definitely impacted my game a lot. Obviously, we play a little bit differently. I think he's score first, and I'm more of a pass-first point guard that mm. creates for my team. But his ability to shoot off the ball is something I've definitely tried to to replicate and to implement into my game. Steph Curry's a great choice. I think Steph is uh, – it's weird to say this. I feel like he's kind of underrated in the NBA just because – I look, he's an MVP, finals MVP, right? But – I think because of his size, maybe people don't view him as being as dominant as like a LeBron or a KD. What do you think from all your years and hours of Steph Curry film study has made him so good without the basketball? Yeah, I think uh, a huge part that's underrated is his conditioning. Because he runs off so many screens, and then he has to go down on the other end and guard, uh, which is no easy task in the NBA. And so... I think a lot of people don't see the amount of conditioning he does so that he can run off all those screens. And obviously the coaching system allows him to thrive with that off-ball movement and his teammates. And so I think that that's what separates him is his conditioning and his ability to get open off the ball. There's been a lot of great point guards here at BOU throughout the years. Um, You know, Danny Ainge comes to mind. Jimmer Fredette comes to mind. These are all guys who I think are still involved in the program too. How cool is it to be a, a player here and to have guys like Jimmer come and watch a practice and have Danny Ainge around to have those resources uh, at your disposal as a player? Yeah, it's super amazing. I've had a, a, some short conversations with Jimmer, some longer ones with Danny. What I love about talking with, to Danny is, is he's still in the business, right, of yep. scouting out players, and so he can tell me, he can give me one of the best advice that I can find in the world about how I need to improve my game and how to get better, especially with my goal being to eventually play in the NBA to play professional basketball. So it's really cool to have access to him and to be able to talk with him. A few more questions for you, down, then we'll, then we'll let you go. Uh, specifically with this year's team, you know, last year the pace was slow. How do you think the coaching staff is going to tailor the scheme and the offense to this year's personnel? What have you seen so far through, throughout workouts? Yeah, we're definitely working a lot on transition, trying to play fast, get the ball out and go and run. Um, And then we're definitely working on um, shooting the open three. I wasn't here last year. I didn't see a lot. Um, But that's something that Foose has talked about. He's like, if you're open, you better shoot it. (laughs) Um, And so we're just trying to to be one of the best three-point shooting in the three-point shooting teams in the country and with that we're trying to play super fast so that we can control the pace of the game rather than um, letting the other team just play super slow and stay in their flow of the game. What are some other team goals that that this group has? You mentioned being one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. What are some other team goals that you guys have for this year? Yeah we have a, um, a huge goal to be the best locker room in America and I feel like we're really closing in on that as a team with our chemistry, with our competitiveness, 
we leave it all out there on the court, and then we come back and we're brothers after that. And so I know that that does translate to the on-court, and that's definitely a huge goal for us is to, to not only be great on the court but off the court as well with each other. Uh, last thing for you, and we'll let you go. Um, what have you seen from from the new guys, that being Rudy, Jackson, Noah Waterman? I'm probably missing some people, but what have they brought to the table, and, and what are some of their strengths that you've observed? It's kind of cool. They all come from different colleges, so they have different experiences. But ultimately, I mean, that's a key word that they all bring to the table is experience. They've played in some big games against some big teams, and so they're very poised and composed, and they teach us young guys a lot, which is cool. They're not, like, keeping it to themselves. They're always willing to share, and they're always pushing us. And I think each of them kind of brings a different thing to the table. Jackson can shoot the heck out of the ball, the lights out, and um, he's super long and a great defender. And so I think he definitely offers us that. Noah is, I don't know if I've seen many players like Noah. He's almost seven feet tall with yep. handles like a guard. <laughs> oh, so wow. it's pretty crazy. Like, yeah. And then Rudy is, I mean, he's a special talent because of his leadership. Every day he brings it. The guys love him. The fans love him. You can tell that already. Yep. And so he just has a certain charisma about him that really I think Cougar Nation's going to love. I know the guys on the team, we all love him. We're grateful for his experience, his wisdom, and he can shoot the ball also really well. So he just needs to shoot it more. All right, Dallin, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Joined by Noah Waterman now. What was the appeal to BYU when you decided you want to make a change from Detroit Mercy? Definitely the main thing that appealed to me was, like, coaching staff, Coach Pope, great guy, phenomenal coach. Um, the play style, it really fits my play style. I, I like shooting a lot of threes, and mm-hmm. BYU is known for that. <laughs> Yo. And I just had to make a change from Detroit. Detroit just wasn't really a, a great fit for me, so I was just trying to make a, a, a step up to help my professional career mm-hmm. and, and in the future. Well, I think uh, just from a, a roster perspective, the fit is a really interesting one because there's nobody quite like you on this roster who can – step out and shoot the three and stretch the floor how much did that play into your decision where you looked at here and said hey there there's a defined role for me and I can excel in that role yeah it was definitely a big thing for why I committed here in the first place because they told me like they haven't had like a lot of stretch fours here and it's like it's really rare and I have a big opportunity here if I came here yeah I definitely went into to that I think I read this somewhere correct me if I'm wrong you're one of nine kids I am. What was that like? I mean, here in Utah, families do have a lot of kids, so I think some people can uh, relate to that. But nine kids is a lot. What was growing up with so many siblings? Man, you know, it's it's a party every day, really, you know. (laughs) And I was homeschooled, so it's like I'm with them 24-7. The dinner table, you better go up first and get your food first or else you're not getting food. So so it was a fight for food, huh? It definitely was. It definitely was. (laughs) That's great. Where where do you fit into the mix of, of nine? So I'm the youngest boy. I got a little sister, and then everybody else is older than me. Wow. So you're kind of at the tail end there. But yeah. that's awesome. Coming from a big family, that's that's really cool. I, I think a lot of people, and correct me if I'm wrong, I know you've only been here for a little bit, but 
I think there is definitely like a family type feel here at BYU. Have you felt that so far? No, yeah, there definitely is. That's another reason that I picked this place because when I came here on my visit, that's one thing I told Coach Pope. He was like, what are you thinking? What do you, what do you like about it? I'm like, it's really a family here. Like everybody's got your back. They, the fans love BYU and it's just a good spot, you know. What was the, what was the visit like? What, what did they show you and, and just maybe take us behind the scenes on, on a visit to BYU? Okay, yeah. So actually, I didn't come for a full visit. I had to leave early. I only came for like half a day <laughs> because it was my sister's birthday the next day. Fair so enough. I had to get back. Totally. Because, you know, family is a big part, part of me. Absolutely. Um, but so when I got here, uh, they just showed me the facilities, showed me around, took me out to great restaurants, ate, ate great. Went to Coach Pope's house, hung out with his family, hung out, met the team for the mm-hmm. first time and everything. So, uh, yeah, the visit, the visit here was great. Wish I could have came for a full visit, but I'm here Oh, well, you're here for so. the full experience exactly. now, right? Coach Pope will test your desire to be a gym rat with, with two-a-days and 6 a.m. practices. How, uh, how was that? Um, it was tough for me. So I'm not a morning person. <laughs> So I like sleeping in until about 10, and then, then I'm awake. <laughs> but I had to wake up at 4.30 every day. 4.30? So 4.30, yeah, because I, I had to scooter over here. Actually, I don't have a car. <laughs> so, so in the mornings, hop on my scooter, cruise over there, get, around, get here around 5, get treatment. Um, but two, two a days is always rough, but I think uh, it really builds toughness in the team, and it's something like a lot of teams should do if you want to be great. Are you prepared to ride the scooter in the winter of Utah? That's a great question. I'm gonna have to bundle up, get, <laughs> get layers. But um, nah, I'm, I'm gonna get uh, a car pretty soon. So, just from from workouts, what do you think the strength of the team is is going to be? Definitely shooting. Like I haven't been on a team where like every single person on the team just has a, a great jump shot. It's crazy. Even the walk-ons, like everybody can just shoot. And then the other advantage to this team is like everybody moves the ball there's not selfish people on the team and I think to to be a great team you really got to be able to move the ball and trust your teammates how do you feel this team will be defensively um defensively we've really emphasized defense this year well since I've been here um I think our defense is going to be really good we got a lot of length with Jax, Fus, Atiki, me you know so we're going to be a big team a big long team that's uh really going to disrupt the the offense of the the other team how was um midnight madness from the perspective of uh, getting a taste of what it'll be like playing in the marriott center and in front of the rock yeah so midnight madness was a great experience so that's my first time being in in like a crowd like that i'm gonna say like a fan base like this (laughs) we have like one of the best fan bases here yep so like it really opened my eyes how much people love byu basketball here so it was just a great experience. I wish I did the dunk competition. Should have, didn't. Would have beat Rudy. Just going to put that out there. But, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. That's great. How do you think it'll be playing with guys like Atiki, Foos, maybe even Giddy a little bit? Just, you know, I think there's, they're very good, low post. You're kind of a stretch four. How do you think your guys' games will complement each other? I love playing with Foos and Atiki a lot because you can just throw it up to the rim. They're going to go get it and dunk it. So, like, we've been doing a lot of four or five ball screens, and me and the five have been playing off each other a lot. So I really liked like that. Foos catches every ball you throw to him. He's got great hands for a big man. Um, so I love playing with him. G is just a great player overall. He always moves without the ball. 
so he makes makes your life easy really when you drive you know G's going to be cutting so just always look for him he's going to get give you the assist really a few more things for uh, Noel Waterman here um every player is different like you, you you're never just going to be a clone of any particular player but there are there any NBA guys that you grew up with or you watch now that you try and emulate stuff from their game into yours yeah I mean my favorite player has always been Kevin Durant I mean, I feel like every that's a generic answer. Everybody <laughs> says Kevin Durant because he's one of the greatest players. Right. Um, but he's seven foot. I'm seven foot, and and I dribble, I shoot. He does that as well. So that's that's the main person I watch. If I'm gonna be honest. Well, there be moments in games where you uh, snatch up a rebound and uh, bring the ball up. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times if I get the rebound, I'm gonna push the ball and uh, start the offense and everything like that. So that's pretty exciting. It's gonna be fun. There are a lot of different ball handlers on this team. Do you think that'll be a strength where it's not, you know, in, in that situation, it's not grab a rebound, hand it to Rudy or whoever. Like, multiple guys can kind of initiate the offense. Yeah, I think it's an advantage because then we can get out and we want to play fast this year. So depending on who grabs it, one through four, whoever grabs it, they can push the ball, and then we're going to be able to get up the court quick, get easy buckets, you know. Last thing for you, um, there's a lot of new faces on this team it, uh, the, the roster turned over quite a bit I don't know if there's a lot of outside expectation because of the turnover on the roster what, what do you think internally the expectations are for this year I think internally our expectations is to get to the championship and and win make it to the tournament um honestly and I think we really could do that with the squad we have right now all right there you go that's Noah Waterman I appreciate the time, Noah, and good luck this year. Appreciate you. There you go. That is Noah Waterman, one of the expected transfers to have a large role on this year's BYU basketball team. That's going to do it here on Cougar Sports Saturday. A little recap on BYU and East Carolina, and then a lot of hoops preview, a lot of great interviews from guys who should have key roles on this year's team. So for Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte, our producer, Dallin Graff, our board op, Dave Meekum, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll join you next week live from Boise, Idaho, for a critical game on the blue turf. We'll see you then. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.